Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Wairinga in Nairobi, Kenya, and by European football expert Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we take a look at the draw for the 2020 African Nations Championship, the CHAN, to be played in April in Cameroon. We hear from Zambia's new coach, Micho. Very tough competitive matches ahead of us. We need to prepare very well in order to look forward to qualify to the quarterfinals. Also, as CAF conducts the bidding process for host venues for this season's African Champions League and Confederation Cup finals, giving potential hosts only 10 days to bid, and with the finals of these two tournaments just three months away, we ask how reasonable this was. And Liverpool lose a game in the UEFA Champions League. Will they struggle in the knockout stage? This all coming up later on, but let's start with the draw for the 2020 African Nations Championship, the CHAN, to be played in April in Cameroon with 16 nations in the tournament, which is for home-based players. Now in Group A, there's the host Cameroon, there's Mali, the 2016 runners-up, there's Burkina Faso and Zimbabwe, who finished fourth in 2014. Group B has 2014 winners Libya, there's DR Congo, who were champions in 2009 and in 2016, there's their neighbours Congo, Brazzaville and Niger. Group C has Morocco who hosted and won in 2018. Also there are Rwanda, Uganda and Togo. And Group D has Zambia, Guinea, Namibia and Tanzania. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's and Eno was at the draw in Yaoundé in Cameroon and he sent us this report. There was a rush of adrenaline at the Yaoundé Sports Complex as the 16 teams to rival in this year's African Nations Football Championship, Shan got to know of their opponents. The host, Cameroon, drawn in Group A, appeared against Zimbabwe, Mali and Burkina Faso, the intermediate lions, as Cameroon's team is referred to, will be appearing in the continental Bonanza for the fourth time. The team's previous three stints in the tournament were crowned by quarterfinal sports on their debut in 2011 in Sudan and 2016 in Rwanda. But two years ago in Morocco, the Cameroon side, led by Lions legend Rigobert Song, were booted out of the event in the first huddle. Spain-based tactician Yves Clément Aroga has since then taken charge of the side, guiding them to a pleasant 1-0 win over two-time Shan victors, the Democratic Republic of Congo, in a friendly. With a squad of at least seven players with experience in the tournament, Cameroon's captain Mark Ojong Nkongo is upbeat the host have the metal to break the deadlock this time around. We have a very good squad. It's going to be difficult. Mali, they have a very good league. Burkina Faso, they have a very good league also. We have been training so hard and playing friendly games. But by the grace of God, I believe that we are going to be the first. Unlike Cameroon, the Chipolopolos of Zambia have come close to glory, finishing third in the first Shan tournament, subsequently warming their way to the quarterfinals in the past two editions. Zambia come up against Guinea, Namibia and Tanzania in Group D. With vibrant local leagues and professional sites impressing in the CAF Champions League and Confederations Cup, Zambia's coach Milutin Micho Sredojevic believes his players will have to be on top of their game in April. 
to go beyond the first huddle. You need to look through the prisma of the local league because those are locally based players. And we believe that we have what it takes to go through in the group. We respect the strength of Tanzanian Premier League with Simba being quarterfinalist of Champions League last year. Young always doing well almost in the Champions League. Azam and others, I have coached there and I know them very well and I believe they are very, very good competitive team. On the other side, Namibia uh, that has qualified to the AFCON uh, 2019. They are practically a team that has shown even last time very competitive. In the same group 2018 in Morocco, Namibia has been incident together with Zambia. They were qualifying to the quarterfinals. And then we have team of Guinea that we need to look through the prisma of the very strong team of Koroya and very strong Guinean league, very talented. So very tough competitive matches ahead of us. We need to prepare very well in order to look forward to qualify to the quarterfinals. The tale is somewhat different for Uganda. The Cranes find themselves in Group C against defending champions Morocco, Rwanda and debutants Togo. Their past four appearances in the continent's Second Nations tournament have been fruitless as they've exited in the group stages. Uganda's coach John McInstry has been somewhat optimistic but is adamant the possibility of the Cranes going on to have a marvellous competition is hinged on their determination. I think our biggest threat is ourselves. When you look at Uganda's performance at Chan over the years, it's probably been one of the disappointments for Ugandan football because the UPL is a very competitive league. Every year, seven, eight, nine players get the opportunity to move outside of Uganda, which shows you that clubs here in the UPL are doing something right. They're developing good, talented players, but that hasn't been reflected in the Chan performances. Now, there's many reasons for that. One of them might be that in previous years, Uganda has qualified for Chan, but then before the finals come around, a number of the players who played as part of the qualification process have already left. So we believe we're in a good position. We have the talent to go deep in the tournament. We just need to perform when it comes to the matches. There will be lots of fireworks in Group B, where two-time Shan victors, the Democratic Republic of Congo, line up against Nebos, Republic of Congo, 2014 winners Libya and Niger. Exciting pairings, which CAF's Deputy General Secretary Anthony Bafoué says blended with popular fervour could produce an unprecedented tournament. We are expecting good football and we hope also for a good crowd. Cameroon is uh, first of all a country full of footballers, uh, full of legends and then uh, Cameroonians love football. For us it's also a very good test run for the AFCON. I'm somebody who looks uh, at details and uh, you showed us that you know how to bring crowd together so we are counting on you to have a good uh, strategy to bring the crowd into the stadium. That's the CAF Deputy General Secretary in charge of football and development, Anthony Bafo, ending that report from Planet Sport Football Africa's and GANO in Yaoundé in Cameroon. So always a difficult tournament to predict is the Chan because it's for the home base players only. But what do you make of the draw, Ida? Well, the Chan is very difficult to predict, Steve. I will agree there. And uh, as Nigeria's report says, um, Cameroon will be looking to go beyond the quarters for the first time ever. And uh, add on to that the fact that it's a first CAF men's tournament for Cameroon since the 70s. Well, I would like to imagine that there is at least some level of excitement in the West African nation. Well, uh, looking at Group A, the indomitable Lions versus Mali, 
looks to be very explosive, at least on paper, just considering that uh, these two countries do have some of the highest rankings in uh, the group. And uh, the last time that Mali played in the Chan was uh, in 2016. Now, it was bittersweet because they got to the final only to lose out to the eventual winners, DRC. So I am sure that they will want to get their first Chan in four years off to a good start in the group. Group B, well, uh, DRC looking to be favorites to advance. Um, and Libya did get a second chance at the Chan 2020. Remember, they hadn't qualified because they lost out to Tunisia in the um, final qualification round. But Tunisia then withdrew. So Libya have gotten their second shot. But looking at Tunisia's withdrawal, Steve, it also had me wondering, I mean, is Chan a serious tournament? Because you can't imagine, you know, a country withdrawing from, say, the Afghan, you know. So it did get me wondering about that. But look, that's a debate for another day. <laughs> um, Group C, very tough to me. Steve, I know some people have been saying that there isn't, you know, uh, particularly a group of death in the Chan. But Group C looking very tough can offer up some surprises. I mean, Morocco won it um, in the last edition. Um, Togo, a team that got all the way to the quarterfinals of the Afghan, Steve, some years ago, has actually never qualified for the Chan before this. So they will be making their debut. I'm sure they will want to, to create a good impression. And Uganda, with uh, the improved quality and level of football in Uganda, the fact that they have never advanced uh, beyond the group stage says a lot. And I'm sure that they will look at it as a challenge to to better themselves. I mean, we saw the team um, at the AFCON 2019. Suffice it to say that this is uh, more local players, but still will want to better their their performance. Group D should be interesting as well, Steve, although um, Zambia and Guinea looking favorites to go through to the last eight. But looking forward to the tournament, I mean, Cameroon and Zimbabwe will get us off. So, you know, it's interesting to know, Steve, are the fans in Zim looking forward or is the excitement a bit 50-50? Well, yes, we're happy at having qualified and are definitely looking forward to it. But uh, at the same time, you can't really fool the fans because uh, as much as CAF want this to be a big competition, it is way below the Nations Cup as it's uh, for local-based players only. So if you look at the crowds uh, for qualifiers for the Chan here, uh, they were much smaller than those for the Nations Cup qualifiers and for the World Cup qualifiers too. Uh, but uh, still a big deal to us. Uh, it's a tournament that Zimbabwe can qualify for regularly and even in with a chance of going far, unlike the Nations Cup. And uh, it's great too for players for marketing themselves. So quite a few have moved after playing for Zimbabwe at the Chan. So yeah, we're uh, happy that we're going there anyway. Now, CAF has conducted the bidding process for host venues for this season's African Champions League and Confederation Cup finals. And for the first time, the matches will be played at neutral venues. That'll be in May. Uh, previously, there have been home and away legs uh, for the two finalists. Now, bids closed on Thursday, having opened only 10 days earlier, giving little time for football federations to get the required government guarantee. Uh, Rwanda is believed to be very keen to host the Champions League final with CAF president Ahmed having met with Rwanda's president Paul Kagame last weekend in Kigali. But uh, a strange process really, Ida, with the finals of these two tournaments just three months away. As the saying goes, Steve, this is Africa, you know, the fact that we're still evaluating hosting options 
barely three months to the CAF Champions League final. And, you know, you look at a place like Europe where they know the host city of the UEFA Champions League final that will be three years from now. So there's definitely levels to this. But, um, you know, all cards were basically thrown in the air once CAF decided to change the format from what was previously a two-legged final to uh, one of clash. And, you know, add to that the fact that it's at a neutral venue. So definitely interest has brewed over where the event will take place. And I know one of the arguments that, um, you know, a lot of people were talking about prior to all this was about fan attendance and more so at a neutral venue. You know, would the fans really invest, you know, the plane ticket, the ticket to the game, the accommodation, all the costs we know come with having a match at a neutral venue for both teams? However, Steve, there are some people who would now argue that the CAF Super Cup negated that, you know, the fact that it was held in uh, Qatar and it was sold out days in advance. So I don't know. It's a debate that I think will, will go on for quite a while. But for me, I think the bigger picture and maybe it's just being here in East Africa. I do think the bigger picture is just how Rwanda has very steadily, Steve, but very quickly positioned itself as the go-to country for sports infrastructure, you know, you know, other than the likes of Egypt, Morocco, South Africa. Rwanda has really come in and taken its place in that. Um, you know, you look at the Kigali Arena, which they built in six months, Steve, you know, uh, a world-class facility that will be hosting the inaugural Basketball Africa League, you know, serious tournament under the likes of the NBA and FIBA. And now you can see the proposed Amahoro Stadium where people are speculating that either the CAF CC or the CAF Champions League will be held. And, uh, you know, I think the speculation is based on something. The fact that CAF President uh, Ahmad and the likes of uh, Cameroon legend Samuel Eto'o, I don't think they went to Rwanda all the way for nothing. So, uh, you know, we should expect an announcement soon, I think. But at the same time, uh, don't forget that there are reports that also the likes of Morocco and the likes of South Africa have also thrown their hats in the ring, you know, so to speak, um, just for a chance to be able to host one of these events. So we will see, Steve, very soon. Yes, and uh, I'll add that uh, Rwanda really is an amazing country. I was there for the 2016 Chan, really beautiful nation, and that uh, rebuilding process from the genocide of 1994 is simply amazing. It looks like there's a plenty more to come uh, from Rwanda. Well, thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now. And uh, last week, we looked at the underrepresentation of black managers in European football. While African stars like Didier Drogba and JJ Okocha have lit up the leagues of Europe as players, Africans have made virtually no impact as managers in Europe. Now, more than that, there's a general lack of what are called BAME managers in English football. BAME standing for Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic. Uh, Chris Hewton, who's of Ghanaian descent, he's managed Brighton and Newcastle. And Nuno is the current Wolves manager. But we asked what can be done to have more black managers in European football. Here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Adrian Barnard. Thanks, Steve. And we start today on WhatsApp. And Malik E. Bojang in The Gambia says... 
Look around at our African national teams. They are full of white European managers. First, we need to give a chance to our own coaches here in Africa and allow them to show what they can do before they can move on to the bigger leagues in Europe. And Mohamed, also in the Gambia, takes a similar view. I think believing in black managers and giving them confidence and encouragement could probably be the key to their success, says Mohamed. And Baiton Machiko in Malawi agrees. We should start training them and giving them the chance to coach our local national clubs and teams, especially the teams that participate in the CAF Championship, says Baiton. Muno John in Zambia believes there is a root cause to the problem that needs to be addressed. Well, says Muno, the issue of racial superiority still stands out in football. Yes, it's true, black players have lit up the big leagues in Europe, but for managers, it's still a dream. Football administrators still don't trust BAME managers. If they did, Chris Hewton would still be manager at Brighton, because they are statistically better with him in charge than with Graham Potter. The racial superiority complex, I feel, is the main factor why BAME managers are not given top jobs in Europe. And that same point is picked up by marvellous Olewaju Abubakar in Nigeria. I don't know much about the criteria for selecting coaches, but I can still support our African players to coach in Europe, says Marvellous. Most European teams don't believe in our abilities to coach, and we shouldn't forget the fact that there is segregation among the white people. I can only say that the time is coming when great African players will have the opportunity to manage teams in Europe, says Marvellous. Musa Kamara is in the Gambia. To be honest, I think we Africans should believe in ourselves first, because we don't believe in our own African coaches, says Musa. For example, here in the Gambia, we have lots of good local coaches, but we have not trusted in them, and we bring in European coaches that should not even coach our third division teams here in the Gambia. Ibrahim in Sierra Leone says, In my opinion, our coaches need to be trained in European training schools to get the opportunities. And we always welcome your voice notes here on Planet Sport Football Africa. And here's Michael Mboka in The Gambia. I mean, of course, management has to do with experience. Like the saying goes, headmaster was once a student. Being it a footballer or an ex-footballer, you should be able to know what it entails to become a coach within the football fraternity. Which is why if black Africans want to be appointed as managers in the West or in Europe, they should prepare themselves, like any other coach in Europe prepared him or herself. So, Michael's saying there that former players need to prepare themselves with the right training if they want to become top coaches in Europe. To the Ivory Coast now, and Clement says, that's a cracking question. Well, thanks for that, Clement. And Clement continues, I think what actually impedes one from reaching greater heights is having an inferiority complex. However, in the African dispensation, a lot of people think they lack what it takes to reach the top in certain spheres of life. They perhaps presume that they don't have the technical know-how to manage European teams. This has gone all the way to distorting the instincts of diverse black people, says Clement. 
Many a time, the black coaches don't really perform or make a positive impact on African football, and the bad state of African football inhibits them from having contracts from European clubs. Well, that's a very interesting view there, Clement. I wonder how many others would agree with that. Sylvester in The Gambia believes there's another reason why former players don't become coaches. Well, I can't say much on this as it's more of a personal choice for former footballers as they do fail to explore a career in coaching, says Sylvester. Some retire early and do football analysis on TV instead of becoming managers. Medlov in The Gambia believes that the clubs should take some responsibility for helping African players to achieve their potential as coaches. When you watch football in England, Belgium, Germany, Holland, etc., says Medlov, you will find at least one African player in each team. I suggest that their teams should assist them when their careers are finished by training them in coaching and then employing them as coaches back to their former clubs, says Medlov. And we'll leave the final word today to Alhaji Manga in The Gambia. Charity begins at home, says Alhaji. When African teams begin to give their national teams to either their fellow African coaches or legends, then that will attract European teams to have the faith to entrust their teams to them. If up to now our national teams are handled by European coaches, and even our club teams too, then how can our African coaches make their mark in the European arena? We must give them a chance. Take for example the former playing legend Frank Lampard at Chelsea. When he started there as a coach there was a lot of criticism, but later he started to prove his critics wrong. And if Senegal can be patient with their black coach Aliou Cissé, then why not others, says al Haji. So, there you are, Steve. Providing more training opportunities seems to be a recurring theme to this question, but there's also a consistent comment being asked by our correspondents this week, which is, don't focus on the lack of black managers in Europe when we can't first resolve that issue for African teams. It seems we've got a long way to go yet. Yes, it's certainly reflected in Africa with many European coaches in top jobs in Africa. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, too, to all who got in touch. Uh, really interesting and strong comments. Well, now we're joined by our European football expert, Stuart Weir, and uh, the English Premier League leaders Liverpool play West Ham on Monday, coming after a surprising loss last Tuesday to Atletico Madrid in the UEFA Champions League, that in a round of 16 first leg match. Uh, yes, a defeat for Liverpool. Um, so are we expecting the Reds to be as deadly in the knockout stage of the Champions League as they are in the Premier League, Stuart? I'm asking myself if Liverpool's 1-0 defeat away to Atletico Madrid was a shock or not. I mean, in one sense, this season, Liverpool not winning is always a shock. But apart from the League Cup, where, of course, they fielded the reserves, Liverpool's only defeat this season was in the Champions League away to Napoli. And remember, last year, on the way to winning the Champions League, Liverpool actually lost three away games at the group stage. So Liverpool do sometimes struggle in the Champions League. The game in Madrid was strange because Liverpool had 68% of possession and made three times as many passes as Atletico, but failed to get one shot on target in the 90 minutes. The second leg will be tight as Atletico set themselves up really well as a defensive team. Going back to the Premier League, there were only five games last weekend, but they produced a lot of excitement. 
Liverpool ground out a 1-0 win at Norwich, but only with a 78th-minute goal from Sadio Mane, who came off the bench. That was his first appearance since being injured against Wolves three weeks ago. Manchester United beat Chelsea 2-0 to move within three points of Chelsea, who are fourth in the table. United were helped by VAR disallowing two Chelsea goals, although the decisions did both seem correct. The best news for Manchester United was that their Ivorian defender Eric Bailly had an outstanding game in his first appearance since April last year. Great to see him fit again. We've been critical of Arsenal's form under the new manager Mikel Arteta, and when they were drawing 0-0 at home to Newcastle with just over half an hour to go, it did look like same old. But then two African goals, Aubameyang and Pepe, sent them on their way to victory. And even Uzel scored. And that was his first goal for 301 days. Aubameyang's goal was his 15th of the season, leaving him two behind Leicester's Jimmy Vardy. And that was Pepe's fourth goal of the season. And it's good to see him getting a good run in the team under Arteta. At the bottom of the table, it looks hard to see Norwich surviving, but above them you have Watford, West Ham, Aston Villa, Bournemouth and Brighton, five clubs separated by three points, with two more relegation places to be avoided. Steve, I have a question for you. Which club in the Premier League plays the best football? Well, if you use the criteria of who hits long balls, who hits short passes, Burnley hit the most long balls, followed by Newcastle and Sheffield United, about 20%. The club that plays most short passes and least long balls is not surprisingly Manchester City at 7% long balls, while Manchester United and Chelsea, 9% hit the long ball. Liverpool, who seem to be able to do everything, uh, use the long ball 11% of the time. Right, and they certainly play some astonishing football to the Reds. Now, Pep Guardiola says that he intends to stay at Manchester City despite the club's two-year ban from the Champions League. Unless City overturn the ban imposed by UEFA last week, they'll not be able to compete in European football until 2022, after the end of this current season. City fell foul of financial fair play rules, but it will be no surprise if they win their appeal at the Court of Arbitration for Sport. But this was a big ruling with possible huge implications for Man City, Stuart. Manchester City have been banned from the Champions League for serious breaches of financial regulations. This includes, according to UEFA, overstating sponsorship income in their accounts. UEFA claim that $100 million dollars Etihad sponsorship actually came from an individual and not from the airline and therefore is not sponsorship. The purpose, of course, of these financial fair play regulations is to stop a club with a billionaire owner receiving hundreds of millions as gifts and therefore having an unfair advantage over clubs which have to generate their own income. The Court for Arbitration for Sport will now set up a three-person panel to assess City's appeal. Um, Yes, Steve, you're right, the panel may well rule in City's favour. But let's be clear, the court has the power to decide that City are not guilty, the power to decide that they are guilty and that the penalties imposed are too harsh and reduce them, but they've also the power to decide that City are guilty and that the penalties are not harsh enough and to increase the penalties. If City lose, 
they have the right to go to the Swiss Supreme Court because UEFA is registered in Switzerland. Steve, in England, we have had an interesting case recently in rugby where Saracens, the dominant club, have been found guilty of breaching the salary cap and have been docked 100 points, meaning that they will be relegated to the championship at the end of this season. Now, if City are found to be in breach of Premier League regulations, one would expect them to have points docked as well. But a fascinating question has arisen from the rugby, in that clubs which finished below Saracens in the last few years are saying that if Saracens only won the title by cheating financially, then the league title should be taken from them and awarded to the club that finished second. And, you know, that logic could also be applied to the Premier League. But the questions for Manchester City, with this hanging over them, include, will Guardiola stay as manager? Will their star players like De Bruyne and Aguero be happy to stay? And can they attract new players in the summer if they're unlikely to have any Champions League football for the next two seasons? It also means that the club finishing fifth could well be in the Champions League next season. But of course, this all depends on how long the legal process lasts. It's a very messy situation. Indeed. Well, uh, indications are that Guardiola will stay on whatever. That's what he said on Wednesday after City beat West Ham, but uh, we will see. Thanks, Stuart. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir and Adrian Barnard, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.